name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Last week in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 8, we found the disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ being faced with an impossible situation. The feeding of the 4,000 in the wilderness, where Christ had been ministering to them and teaching them for three days. And then he has compassion on them because they're hungry. And the disciples sense his compassion and they ask a question to Jesus. How can any man feed this multitude of people with bread here in the wilderness? And rather than Jesus just proving himself to them right there without their assistance, he invites them into the equation. By asking them the question we talked about last week, Jesus looked at his disciples and says, what do you have? What do you have? Knowing that they didn't have near enough food to feed the multitudes, he asked them, what do you have? And so they told him seven loaves and a few small fish. And what do they do? They offered what they had. Jesus took the offering that was way too little to do the feeding of this multitude. He took that offering. He blessed it. And then he laid it before the people and they ate and they were satisfied with much extra when it was all said and done. Jesus invited his disciples to participate not only in the divine nature of God, but he invited them to participate in the good works of the kingdom of heaven along with their Lord Jesus Christ with the little they had, remembering that his disciples Though we have little, we have very little. And though we are weak and frail and there's sin in our lives still yet to be overcome and healed, that when we offer ourselves to Him, when we offer what we have, little as it may be, what we find is that Christ steps into that moment, takes that offering, blesses it, and He becomes the sufficiency that makes up for our deficiencies. I want to say that again because that's critical to our walk with Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ, if we will but offer ourselves, will make Himself the absolute complete sufficiency where we're deficient. In other words, as Scripture puts it, He will become the strength in our profound weakness. All He asks is that we offer ourselves because he wants us to experience the kingdom of God and he wants the kingdom of God experienced in and through his people by the synergy of us with our God. The cooperation between us and our Lord Jesus Christ. I remind you of last week's message because this week is part two and it needs to be. I was very convicted of that at the beginning of the week. And I pray that the message that the Lord has for all of us will be an encouragement to start cultivating a life. To start cultivating a lifestyle in which our faith can be built to offer the little that we have. Because it takes faith even to offer little. And what's that lifestyle? To begin understanding what that lifestyle looks like, let's take a look at the disciples from Mark chapter 8 from last week. Remember, they had, this was not their first go-round with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
This happens in Mark chapter 8. There are seven chapters prior with some information. Let me give you an idea of what their life was like before the feeding of the 4,000, before our Lord Jesus Christ asked them, what do you have? And they offered it. First of all, you need to understand this. They lived and dwelled in fellowship with Jesus Christ every day. And all throughout the day, their fellowship was with Christ and Christ was in their midst. Christ was present with them. I want you to get this picture. They're traveling all over Israel. The disciples with our Lord Jesus Christ together. Think about that. They're walking miles and miles and miles. What conversations are being had? What fellowship between our Lord and His disciples are taking place that we don't have recorded in Holy Scripture? Can you imagine all the time the disciples spent with Jesus? What they may have heard come out of His lips? What else might they seen Him have done and accomplished? They lived and dwelled with Him. And he with them. And not only that, because they lived and dwelled with him and he with them, they saw his mighty works prior to the feeding of the 4,000. And only because they were with him. What had they seen? Up until that point, they had seen Jesus heal a paralytic. They had seen Jesus heal a leper. They had seen him cast out demons. All of this before Mark chapter 8. And they had also seen Jesus Christ walk on the water that he had made in the midst of a terrible storm that threatened their lives. And then speak with his voice calm to his creation. And bring calm to his disciples. All of these things they'd experienced. What is the picture? What is the lifestyle? We really need to grasp this. There's only one lifestyle that builds the faith of any Christian. That builds faith enough to offer the little that we have and see the wonderful works of God in our lives, including our own salvation. And that lifestyle is this, a lifestyle of daily, constant fellowship, walking with Him every day, morning, afternoon, and night, attending to the God who is so very present with us always in no different way than the disciples traveled with Christ. You find me a way for your faith to be built apart from Christ. Apart from making him such an active and relevant and tangible, I'll say. Person in our daily lives. There's a scripture that at the beginning of the week came to my mind that I hadn't looked at in forever. It's from 2 Chronicles in chapter 7. It's from the Old Testament. Because the word that God gives to King Solomon describes what that life looks like making Christ our dwelling place. Living and dwelling with Him all our days. And let me give you a little background to this scripture. In 2 Chronicles, the first seven chapters are the dedication and the consecration of the temple built in Jerusalem under King Solomon. King Solomon, the son of King David whose promise was to build the temple. And so here the temple is built in Jerusalem. And the first seven chapters talk about its consecration. That the temple was consecrated. That is, it was set apart only for God's holy use. 
And once it was consecrated, I can't remember if it's in 2 Chronicles 6 or 7, it tells us that the glory of God descended and filled the temple. And now the scene is set for God to dwell among His people and they with Him. And just as that happens, God speaks directly to Solomon. And it's the words that he says that are just as relevant and describe the only Christian life that's real. Listen to the words that God gives King Solomon. He says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Once again, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from, my wicked, from their wicked ways, I will hear them from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. What you're hearing is the blessed invitation to Solomon and the Hebrew people. And you're hearing the Holy Spirit's invitation to each one of you living stones and myself. As to how to live and dwell with our Lord Jesus Christ in a very real relationship and fellowship. Because it was the call to make him the center of all things. It was the call to make him the center of their entire lives. So let's look at these few things and how they might look to our lives so we understand what this life looks like. First of all, he says that my people will humble themselves. Now this word in Hebrew, it's not the humility, and it would include it, but it's not specifically the humility of not thinking too highly of ourselves. That's always there. But in the Hebrew, when it says, if my people will humble themselves, it means if my people will bring themselves and submit themselves under my lordship. If my people will be citizens as to a king. If my people will be children as to a heavenly father. That they will hear my voice, they will hear my commands, for I intend to direct them to, the Lord, to their salvation. If they will listen to those words of life that are for their salvation and do them. If my people will follow me as disciples. And when I say go, they go. When I say do, they do. When I say do not, they do not. They follow me almost that shepherd and sheep. Father, child. If my people will humble themselves. That's what that means. The second thing. If my people will pray and seek my face. You can't separate those two. They're one. If my people will pray and seek my face. In the Hebrew, the prayer is, if my people will set themselves before me. Spend time. If my people will stop everything and place themselves in my holy presence. And spend time in fellowship with me. That's prayer. And prayer is dialogue. And it's two ways. It's two ways. It always has been with God. If my people will pray in that way, set themselves before me and seek my face. I love that phrase. In the Hebrew, that means this. Seek means an active, intentional, almost desperate pursuit. Think of the same, uh, think of the same statement when Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hungering like a person that hasn't eaten for 20 days. 
how quickly and how voraciously they will pursue food. If my people will pursue my face, seek my face, when it says face, if people will pursue my countenance, that is who I am. What's God saying? If my people will live their lives in pursuit of getting to know who I really am. Because I tell you this, my friends, the heart of our God is always to be known by you. To make himself known by you. How is he going to make himself known by you if you don't place or if we don't place ourselves before him? Christianity is not magic. It is real relationship. Active between two parties, a God and his people, a God and his living stone. If my people will pray and seek my face. The third thing, and if my people will turn from their wicked ways. I love that word turn in the Hebrew. It's actually a dual word that it's active in both meanings, both to turn and to return. In other words, I turn from my wicked ways in order that I might return to the God who created me and return to my true self. What's he saying? My people will repent. Turn from their wicked ways, return to the house of their father and return to their true identity. So if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, that's our relational part, then there's his. Because then there's that great if, then. If you do this, then I will. The promise of God. And he says, I will hear them from heaven, and I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. In other words, I will save. I will save. You have just heard the life of the Christian. And those words coming off the consecration of the temple, let me tell you, my friends, I am looking at a bunch of consecrated temples who went into the waters of baptism and were filled with the Holy Spirit. God's glory came and dwelled within you. Within me. And if we will live what you have heard today, if you will begin to live your lives in pursuit of your father who longs, as soon as he gets a glimpse of that pursuit, who longs to reveal himself to his people, you will live a life where your faith will be built. Towards what? So that if and when on any day God looks at us, Christ looks at us and says, what do you have that I might bring the kingdom of heaven to earth this day? What, what do you have? You're very willing to offer the you have. Because just like the disciples who spent every day with him and saw his wondrous works, you too will spend every day with him and you'll see his wondrous works and you'll offer yourselves and the kingdom of God will come to earth in and through this dear parish. And we pray our beloved Orthodox Church. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.